Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. I'm continuing my series on uh, between a rock and a hard place. Uh, So if you have your Bible, you can turn it to Isaiah 40. We'll start in verse 28. I'm going to kind of focus on David tonight. Last week we talked about um, Jacob. My dad uh, tuned in from Cancun. He said the message blessed him. It blessed him so much he watched it a couple times. And um, I think God is uh, just speaking uh, to the church just about just things he's doing here. So I'm really excited about this message, uh, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. I'm focusing on David. I want to start here in Isaiah 40, verse 28. It says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. I think when you are in one of these places where you're between a rock and a hard place, you need to look up. And have you not known? Have you not heard? Look to the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He never faints. He's nor weary. His understanding is unsearchable. I know. I love that. His understanding. He knows all things, but he is such an understanding God. He knows everything that's going on inside of you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He also knows everything that's happened in your life, everything that's currently happening. He knows everything about you, and he is still understanding. That word understanding doesn't just mean knowledgeable. It means he cares. He cares about every single person on the face of the earth. He cares, and, and that, that type of caring, that type of understanding, it's, it's unfathomable, it's unsearchable, unsearchable. It says in verse 29, he gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. That's what happened to me Sunday night when I woke up puking in the middle of the night, not once, not twice, but three times. I had zero strength left in me, and I was just crying out to God just to help me survive, and and he did. Uh, Verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I love that God brings renewal. He brings restoration. He he restores your soul. He restores the strength in your emotions, in your body, in your heart. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I love that it says in verse 31, those who wait on the Lord, that word to wait on the Lord in Hebrew, just it means a lot more than just wait. It means to expect. I love something that um, Aaron Skagg said when he was leading uh, uh, not too long ago on a Sunday. He said, that I, I feel the expectation in this place. We, not, we don't just need to, to wait around like the people at the, the pool of Bethesda, just waiting around to see if there might be a strength. We need to have an expectation. There are different types of waiting. There is a waiting just to see if something might shake the waters, but there is an expectation. We need to have that kind of positive expectation, that, that, that deep hope, that deep faith in God to be looking forward to what he's going to do. And, um, and um, that, that is a powerful type of, of waiting on the Lord. And it, there's a promise to it that he will renew your strength. If you keep looking to the, God, to the one true God, keep, keep, re, keep your eyes on him. He's going to renew your strength. Amen? Even when you're in between a rock and a hard place. And David, David had a lot, a, a great period of his life where he was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know, as a young person, he was anointed to be king of Israel. He knew his destiny was great, but it was derailed kind of early on. He had favor with God. He had favor with the people of Israel. He was a, a great champion. He beat Goliath, but he still had to flee for his life. Saul was trying to kill him. And, um, and really, Saul put him between a rock and a hard place. And uh, I was kind of thinking about different types of situations that can arise in life. And one of these types of difficult situations can be um, 
because someone put you in that situation. It's not something that just happened that you did to yourself or like Jacob kind of got himself into his own predicament by deceiving Esau, deceiving his, his, his father. So he kind of um, put himself in a tough position. But David, David um, was doing everything that God called him to do. He was fighting for the people of Israel. He had favor with God, favor with people. But Saul was actually very cruel to him, very harsh to him. And um, I love that something that David said when it's, a, when it's an individual, another person that puts you in that tough predicament, what you're supposed to do. And I love this statement, something that he said several times. We'll look at it in 1 Samuel 24. You can turn there. But he said, let the Lord judge. He said, let the Lord judge. So when someone else does you wrong, harms you, is very cruel to you, um, oftentimes it's best just to give it to God and say, let the Lord judge. Trust God. God, God is the greatest judge. He's, he's, he's both the just and the justifier. And it's, it's best to give it to him when someone else, rather than try to make things right yourself, David could have, several times he had the opportunity to, to right things himself. But I think in the long run, it was better off that he decided to let the Lord judge and let the Lord take care of it. And we'll look at, at why this is the case. So when an individual puts you in that tough place, puts you in, in between a rock and a hard place, man, if you can come to that place where you're just going to trust God, I'm not going to solve this problem on my own. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to let him, I'm going to just give it to him, let the Lord judge. Um, God, God works things out. And um, I've kind of learned that from observing my father in, in um, ministry. When I first started seven years ago, March 1st, I'll, I'll be pastoring now for seven years. Kind of starting early on, I, I saw things a little more black and white um, in terms of how people acted, how, how people at church acted, how, how people on staff acted. And, um, and I came from more of a professional background where it was a very performance-based type thing. Um, but I learned from my dad that 99.9% .9 of the time, it's better off to let God work it out than try to, try to just hammer it out yourself. And, um, and God always works it out much better than it would have worked out if you had done it yourself. And, and the David and Saul situation was the exact same. This, this worked out a lot better for David's sake that he just let the Lord take care of it, then he tried to solve it himself. And he had several opportunities where it would have been very easy for him to, to, to give Saul what he deserved, but he didn't do it. So let's look at 1 Samuel 24 and talk a little bit about this instance. So it says here in 1 Samuel 24, verse 1, it says, Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So David didn't have a huge following at this time, but Saul took 3,000 of the top trained soldiers with him to, to go and try to kill David. Verse 3 says, So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. So they were just looking at this in the natural realm. They're saying, David, we hear you singing these psalms every night, these psalms about 
Lord, will you just take my enemy and bash them against the rocks? You know, we have a lot of them, and sometimes they're, they're nice to sing when someone has done you wrong. And um, David, David preached to them and said, God is going to deliver us. He, he was probably preaching to his following, these men who, who were, what does my father say? What, what, what was his following? They were all in debt, discontent, discouraged. So he probably encouraged them a lot and told them, we need to trust God. God is our deliverer. And um, they probably thought, well, David, if God is going to deliver you, here, it's, here, here's the time for it to happen. And um, I like what it says here. David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. I don't know how he did that without Saul noticing um, but somehow he, he cut off a corner of Saul's robe while he was attending to his needs. Verse 5, now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. He, he was so tender-hearted towards God, towards trusting in God, that um, the fact that he might have done something wrong to Saul was, was um, bothering him. So he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is anointed of the Lord. So he's saying, um, first of all, the reason why I'm not going to take this situation into my own hands is because um, there is an anointing on Saul's life. He does have a position, and, um, and there are several reasons why he, I think it's good that he honored this position. Um, first of all, God is the one who put him in that position. God is the one who called Saul to be king. So if God wanted to remove Saul, God would have to do it himself. Does that make sense? And, and David recognized that. He knew that, that God had called Saul to this position, that the Israelites had, had put him up for that position. But it wasn't David's right to take him out of that position. It would have to be God's position himself. And really in terms of the legality of it, it would be treasonous for him to kill Saul at that point. And um, let's read a little more here. So it says, David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David also arose after, went out of the cave and called out to Saul saying, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And just tr tremendous... Um, David just had tremendous humility. Um, he, he had the opportunity to kill Saul, and yet he's still, still honoring his position as king. David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt to take it. Take, you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge. He say, I'm not, I'm not going to be the one to judge you. I'm going to let the Lord take care of this. Let the Lord judge between you and me and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. 
After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog, a flea. Therefore, let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. So he's, he is putting his complete trust in God's hand. He's saying, let the Lord be judge. I'm giving the situation completely over to God. God put you in that position. And, and if it pleases God, he's going to be the one that takes you out of it. It's not going to be me. And that actually, that actually set up David for a great deal of success. So when, when Saul was ultimately killed, it wasn't David's hand that did it. David was not um, rebellious. He was not evil. No one could judge him on his intentions. He, he washed his hands clean of that situation. So, um, and, and I think there's several reasons why, why David said, let the Lord judge. You know, Saul had this position of authority that God gave it to him. God would be the one to take him, take him out of it. But David also didn't know what God's plan was for Saul. A couple chapters later when something else similar happened, you know, David actually stole, stole his um, water jug and his spear. Um, God placed Saul in his hands a second time, and David, David didn't kill him. His top military officials were urging him to kill him, but he wouldn't do it. And he said um, in 1 Samuel 26, verse 10, he said that God's going to deal with him. He's either going to strike him, he would just die when it's his day to die, or that he'd be killed in battle. He said, I don't know how it's going to happen, but God's going to deal with Saul. He's, he's either going to, God's just going to, strike him with a lightning bolt, or he's just going to die for natural causes, or he's going to be killed in battle, but, but that's up to God. God's going to take care of it. And he, he was saying, I don't know what God's plan for Saul is. You know, that, that person that, that wronged you, that placed you in that tough position and, and put you between a rock and a hard place, you don't know what God's plan for them is. God, God is um, long-suffering towards people and gives people an extended period of grace where they can repent and, and turn their heart towards him. So rather than try to be the judge and, and fix things yourself, David's saying, I'm going to place Saul in God's hand, and, and God is just going to work it out. And, um, and because David humbled himself in that situation, God ultimately was the one that promoted him. Um, David did not promote himself. No one in Israel could say that David is the one who promoted himself. David is the one that schemed to kill Saul, that schemed to kill his descendants, that schemed to get this position that was rebellious, that, that broke the law, that put himself in this position. David actually humbled himself, and because he humbled himself and let God be the judge, God was the one that was able to promote him. Does that make sense? And um, I, love, I love this psalm in Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7. It's a psalm of Asaph, um, one of the psalmists that, that David um, appointed. And Asaph penned this. He said, for promotion, it comes neither from the east nor the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. Isn't that, I think Asaph took a couple points from David's life. He let God be judge. Promotion doesn't come from the east, from the west, from the south. It doesn't even come from yourself. He puts down one and he exalts another. And at the start of that psalm, it says it's a psalm of Asaph, but it's set to this tune. And I find it kind of interesting. It says to this a melody that Asaph wrote. And then the melody um, was called, Do Not Destroy. So David had this type of, of attitude with, with, with the Saul situation. That I'm not going to be the, the one that destroys him. 
God, God is going to be the one who promotes me. Do not destroy. And um, um, sometimes when you're upset, when someone harms you, when someone places you in a tough position, um, it's easy to want to fight back and to go into terminator mode, to destroy mode. I'm going to fix everything myself. And let me tell you how it is. But, but let, let God be judge. Let him handle things. And don't, don't, don't be someone that's going to try to tear someone else down to make things right. Someone else is going to bring about their own destruction. And that's ultimately what Saul did. Saul ended up bringing about his own destruction. He, he, um, he ended up dying as a, as a result and being removed as a result of his own um, wrongdoings. And, and God took care of David. Amen. And um, something my mom, I heard my mom say this kind of in passing. Um, this was a few years ago, but my, my wife had a friend visit. I'm from Tennessee. And, and at, at the time, this friend of hers was, was also a single mom. And um, um, she had a couple of kids. And, and one of them, a young boy, was very wild. And uh, they stayed at our house for a couple of days. And, and the first day they got there, this, this kid was like a Tasmanian devil. Just complete, complete um, destroyer. And, uh, and um, like, there was snow on the ground. And Fish and I had, had like, we were outside, and we had built, built some snowmen. And um, even, even though Heather and her friend was, she, had, she was, Heather, Heather's a great um, hostess. She always wants to host things. And she was hosting, like, a, a bridal shower or a baby shower, something at the house. And you had this friend here. But I was kind of left with the kids, with, with Fisher and two other kids that I didn't know. And, and this one kid who was, I think around five or six, but he was a little Tasmanian devil. I don't think he had had like an ounce of discipline ever in his entire life. And he was just outside, and, and Fish and I had built all these snowmen, and he just went around just destroying everything and just tearing down these snowmen, and Fisher was crying because, you know, he built these with his dad. And my mom, my mom came outside and um, said something really profound. It was actually a very spiritual, prophetic thing that she spoke to this little angel. <laughs> And she said, uh, you know, little angel. I, I don't, but she said, it, it, it's much easier to destroy than to build. Why don't you try to build something than to destroy? And um, I really believe that God has called us to, to build, to create, to, to help people out, to build people up. And um, we don't need to, even people who are in the wrong, people who are living wrong, people, we don't have to always try to prove them wrong, try to just, just let God be the judge. Does that make sense? And um, just, just keep building people, keep, keep shining the light for Jesus. And um, God, God, God will speak to people. He, he wants to extend grace to people. He wants to minister to people. And um, he wants you to be a part of that. But um, it's, it's really not up to us to, to be destroyers. And just in certain situations, just let God be the judge. And ultimately, he, he's going to bring promotion. And when he brings it, it, it's better for people to say that God's the one that, that put Aaron in that position. God, God's the one that put Tanya in that position. God's the one that put Kim in that position. It wasn't that they, that they tried to seize that position themselves. or it, it was God is the one that did it. And um, I love what... Um, Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7, he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, 
that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And that, that's a powerful verse. And I think that's something that, that David really did. He, he, this is a huge care, a huge concern in his life. He did nothing wrong to Saul. He just tried to, you know, play the harp for Saul. And here's Saul, you know, throwing javelins at him while he's, you know, I've got hired to play for rich people before. And I've never had like javelins been thrown at me. I didn't have to go through the type of turmoil that, that uh, David went through. But David, David really tried to honor Saul, tried to help him out, tried to fight for him, tried to honor him. And um, he, just, he just decided to cast this care upon God. Let God be the judge in the situation. And um, God exalted him at the right time. Amen? And, and we don't always know what that time is, but keep trusting in God. Keep waiting for him. Keep expecting good things, and God will take care of it. You don't even have to know how he's going to take care of it, but just trust that God will take care of it. Amen? All right, let's go on now. I want to go on to another situation. Um, like I said, David had plenty of between a rock and a hard place type of situations. So let's now look at 1 Samuel 30. 1 Samuel 30. So David... Um, had to flee for many years from Saul, and actually for a period of one year and four months, he actually ended up living with the Philistines. So the Philistines, who, you know, he killed Goliath and um, killed many Philistines, they ended up um, offering, you know, a white flag to David to live there as long as he helped them fight and kill common enemies that Israel had. So they did that for a, for a year and four months. And um, once David returned um, back to his hometown of Ziklag, um, this is what he came home to. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. So now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there. From small to great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. So that, that scripture in verse 4, just that, that complete um, place of desolation therein, it kind of reminds me of what, what I shared from Isaiah 40, that... Um, that even, even people who might be young and strong, that, that there'll be times where they can faint, be weary, where well, they shall utterly fall. So this is just a situation where, where David and his men were at the complete bottom of the barrel. Emotionally, um, it said they had no more power to weep within themselves. Um, verse 5, it says, David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. So, you know, to make the situation worse, even all these people who had been following him for years now are talking about stoning David just out of their complete um, distress. Um, but it says something really important here. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, that, that's a very powerful statement, and um, it, it's something that, that every believer needs to understand, that at, there, there are going to be a few times in your life where you're going to have to strengthen yourself in the Lord. 
And I'm going I'm to kind of focus the rest of this message on, on what it means to strengthen yourself in the Lord and how you go about doing it. Um, so it says he strengthened himself on the Lord. And um, the, there, there are times where you're going to have to strengthen yourself in the Lord, where, where emotionally your, your feelings are, are just not going to be something that you can rely upon. And... Um, and sometimes charismatic, faith-filled people can be just as jealous of, of being overly emotional as, as non-faith-filled people and just relying too much upon their emotions. Your, your emotions are not the voice of God. So if someone tells me, I, but I feel this way, I, I'm not going to respond with... Your, your, your emotions are not the voice of God. Your, your emotions will, will, will get you in a place where you're going to, where you could, you could very well be, be killed. It could take you to a very, a very dangerous place. It says that he strengthened himself in the Lord. So a couple, a couple ways that, that the, I want to talk about how, how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. And I want to talk about, first of all, waiting on the Lord. How you always need to have have this expectation that God is going to do something good. When I wake up today, I, I'm waking up with a sense of expectation. Though I might be dealing with a situation that's not ideal, maybe, maybe someone placed me in this situation, I'm between a rock and a hard place, I, I need, you're going to have to, to strengthen yourself in the Lord every day when you get up. And um, David strengthened himself in the Lord, and I love something that's written in Psalm 27, verse 14, it says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So he's emphasizing over and over. Wait on the Lord. Expect something from God. Yeah, it's, it's important that, that we have an expectation that we're going to see something good. God, I believe that you're going to do something good here in the land of the living, here in this day that I am alive. Even though, even though today might have been a tough day, I believe, God, that you're going to do something good. You need to have that sense of expectation. Keep that sense of expectation. And really, faith is not just an emotional thing. It's a lifelong thing. It's a lifelong journey. And faith is a journey. You better enjoy the trip. My trip's not over yet. And um, whatever you're believing God for, um, have that positive expectation. Time, patience, and hard work. Keep trusting God. Know that he has good things in store for you. And don't just emotionally check out. Keep strengthening yourself in the Lord. Amen. And God's given us powerful tools to do this, to, to help build our expectations. Um, you need to pray in tongues on a consistent basis. I remember one time when I was 18, I, I, I just moved to college. I'd been there for a couple of months. Um, I was at a very low point emotionally, um, expectation-wise. I was thinking about just quitting um, what I'd sought out to do, just, just turning back, moving home. I thought I didn't have what it takes to do what I initially thought God called me to do. Um, and my dad gave me some really good advice. He said, you know, for a week or two, you need to, you need to pray in tongues 30 minutes a day. Just systematically do that. And, and as you do that, the Bible says you do something when you pray in tongues. 
Jude 1.20, it says, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You know, this is, um, I, I had been at, you know, I, I just moved to, to school in Pittsburgh. Um, I was going to Carnegie Mellon. It is one of the toughest places to get into for music, especially for, for flute there. The top flute professor in the country was teaching there. And uh, when I got there, all, all the top flutists from all around the world were studying there. Um, I was just an 18-year-old freshman. There were, there were master's students. There were post-grad students there from all around the world, South Korea, Russia, Argentina, just incredible players. And um, after playing and hearing them play for a few months, I thought I didn't have what it took. Um, I kind of taken a leap of faith and decided to go to this, you know, far away, big, fancy, expensive school when I, I turned down a full ride offer here in state with a pretty good teacher. But um, I felt God was calling me to just go, go big and go as big as I could or, or go home. And uh, I thought, well, I'm not going to go big. I'm just going to go home. And, um, and um, you know, my dad said, just, just for, for a week or two, pray in tongues 30 minutes a day. And um, you know, he, didn't, he didn't tell me what to do. He, 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 you need to pray. And something happens when you pray in tongues. And I'm, I'm talking not about just like praying in tongues for five minutes while you drive to go pick up your kid from school. Like, go somewhere where you can close the door and have 30 minutes uninterrupted, you know, don't have your phone with you. And, and, um, and praying, and, and as I did this for, for a week, for two weeks, for three, I kept doing it for a while, I, I, I started getting really fired up with my faith. I was just very built up and... Um, and um, when I, I went from just a place of motion where I felt like I should give up and quit and, and go home, just I, I missed God, to, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go even bigger. And um, I, I talked to my teacher at the time, and I, I said, you know, there, there's this major competition at the school happening. It's called a concerto competition. So in classical music, it's a very famous type of competition. A concerto means you, there's one soloist with an entire, entire orchestra behind you. Um, backing up, and every you know music school in the country does a concerto competition, and um, I, I told her I wanted to do it. And, and at the time, at that at the university there, they, they they had it set up so there's only one winner. It didn't matter if you're undergrad or grad, what instrument you played, there's just one winner. And um, I told her I want to do this thing, and um, she said, "All right, let, let's go for it." And um, over Christmas break, I went home, practiced a lot. I had to memorize a really hard piece of music. It's about 20 minutes long. Um, and um, in January, I came back and, and entered the competition and performed. And in the first round of this thing, I was so nervous because I was the only freshman that even entered into this competition. And I was saying, God, maybe I should have went home and, and I have gone too far. I, I was so nervous. Um, the entire time I played this 20-minute piece, I kept my eyes closed the entire time. I don't think I opened up my eyes a single second because um, my teacher just picked out like the hardest piece ever I've ever played in my life. And, and, um, and um, you know, I think I was just praying one of those like, please help me, Jesus, just help me don't make a complete fool out of myself type things. And, um, and uh, I made it through, and um, I think there were 20 or 30 people that entered, and that was the first round, and they, they announced who would go to the, the second and final round, 
And uh, they picked six people. And to my surprise, I was one of the six to go on to the final round. And um, I was just um, so relieved that I didn't make a complete fool out of myself. When I got to the second round the next day, I just I didn't have a care in the world. Uh, I, I think I just drained all of the nerves in my body at this point. I, I didn't have any more of those adrenaline left in my body to make myself nervous. All my adrenal glands were just pumped completely empty. So I didn't have to deal, deal, deal with adrenaline or, or anything. But uh, my teacher told me, um, she said, you know, whatever you, you do this round, just keep your eyes open. It's really painful. And it'd be like me preaching to you all the entire time, so nervous I can't even keep my eyes open. <laughs> and she actually told me, she, she um, judged a major competition in Munich, Germany. And uh, one of her students from Juilliard, she used to teach at Juilliard, um, entered this competition. And her student got really nervous and kept her eyes closed the whole time. And when, when she opened her eyes after she played the piece, she was actually facing the wrong direction. <laughs> So she said, I, I don't want that to happen to you. Just keep your eyes open whenever you do. And, um, and I think because I, I just like, I had no hormones left in my body to make myself nervous. I just didn't have a care in the world. I, maybe it was a spiritual thing, maybe it was a physical thing, I don't know. Um, but I, I, just, I just had one of the most like freeing performances of my life and I just didn't care. I was just so happy I didn't make a complete fool of myself. And um, I've had, that's happened to me several times where I've just come through something. I'm just gl gl I'm glad I wasn't a complete fool. And and um, um, anyways, the the second round, they, they after the judges deliberate, they call everyone back. And they announced everyone from reverse order six, five, four, and I ended up winning the competition. I ended up getting first play, place in that. And um, it, it was a, a major deal. At the time, it helped give me scholarship money and just um, open up new doors of opportunity. And I love that song that we sing tonight, Overflow, where um, I've taken over, where you go from a place where you feel like you've been taken over to I've taken over, and God, God um, just really brings you to another level. It's a, it's a powerful thing. Um, so pray in tongues. That all started from praying in tongues. And um, if, if you've never received your prayer language, been baptized in the Holy Spirit with that, um, prayer language, you can receive it tonight. Really, the only qualification for that is to believe on Jesus. If you're a believer, that's a promise that he has for every believer. And if you haven't received that, I want you to come up after service and pray with me, and, and you'll get that tonight, and you can start praying in tongues and being built up in your most holy faith. That is, that is a powerful thing about it. Um, so strengthen yourself in the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Pray in tongues. I want to talk about other things that David did here. So let's go back to 1 Samuel 30, um, verse 7. It says, David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord. I like that it says that he inquired of the Lord. It's always important that you seek direction from the Lord. So David, he didn't just react out of his emotions. You know, when, when you're dealing with, and I'm sure he had a lot of emotional stuff going on. You know, his own family was taken away. He'd been waiting to see them. He'd been fleeing for his life. And, and finally, he gets back to this place of refuge, and it's burnt with fire. His family's gone. Not only that, everyone is trying to, talking about killing him. Um, he, he spent some time with with the presence of God. He went to that secret place. And um, it's really important that, that um, 
no matter what's going on around you, that, that you spend time with God, that you find that secret place of refuge. I love what David wrote in Psalm 91, that he who dwells in the secret place. So this isn't just a place that you visit once a week or once a month or what, like this is a place where you go on a regular basis and it doesn't really matter what's going on around you. It doesn't matter if you're in a palace situation or in a cave situation, in, in a between a rock and a hard place situation, God is still your dwelling place. And um, so he, he, he knew that he was going to spend some time in God's presence. He inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him. So the priest was there um, praying with him and, and said, this is the voice of the Lord, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. And um, so it says, David went, he and 600 men who were with him and came to the brook Bezor where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men for 200 um, stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross this brook. So, so a great portion of these men who were following him, 600, which to think about these 600 men, like was nothing to compare with the 3,000 men that you know, Saul had been chasing them for, for several years. So 200 people are just so deplete they can't even cross this brook. Uh, so they're just completely um, physically and emotionally um, at the end of themselves. But David, it says David pursued he and 400 men for 200 stayed behind who were so weird that they could not cross the brook Bezor. Um, verse 11, so I, I love that the, the word of the Lord came to him and said, um, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. David didn't know how this is going to come about. And God actually helped it come, come about in, in an unusual way. So when God gives you a word, he doesn't always tell you exactly all the steps that are going to occur. David's probably thinking in the natural, I only got 400 people who are able to cross this brook. We probably won't be able to fight much of a battle here. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to, I'm going to follow God's word. And it says here in verse 11 that they found an Egyptian in the field. So I don't know what an Egyptian is doing up here in Ziklag. You know, they've been fighting, they've been with the Philistines, you know, so this Egyptian, random Egyptian is up here near Ziklag, by this brook, Bezor. And um, they brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. Um, so they actually ministered to this Egyptian's needs. They, they took time to, it's kind of a good Samaritan kind of situation here. Um, David had a lot of other things to attend to, but they, they decided to, to, you know, what is this random Egyptian doing up here in Ziklag? Well, let's just help him out. He looks like he's about ready to die. Verse 12, it said, they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no drink nor drunk water for three days and three nights. So he was probably literally at the point of dying. Then David said to him, you know, to whom do you belong? Where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. So the Amalekites are the ones who burned down Ziklag. And my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you to, down to this troop. 
Verse 16, and when he had brought him down, there they were spread out over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Um, Verse 17. I love what happens here in verse 17. So be on the lookout. I love that David inquired of the Lord, but he was also, um, I believe that God led him to, to, to this Egyptian. God brought about this divine connection. Sometimes good divine connect, I kind of talked about divine connections this past Sunday in Sunday's message. Divine connection, connection can sometimes take place in unusual forms with unusual people. This Egyptian um, slave of an Amalekite was in a very, a very unusual divine connection. Most people going through what David was going through, trying to accomplish what David was trying to accomplish, would just ignore that person. We have, we have bigger things to worry about. Uh, but David, I believe, he was led by the Spirit of the Lord to, to minister, to help that, that Egyptian. That ended, up, that ended up being a divine connection. Um, I remember when I was going to Lakewood Church, um, Joel Osteen um, talked about how, how he ended up um, getting to become a New York Times best-selling author and became, you know, a multimillionaire worth 50 million, which everyone hates, but uh, it's not his fault. God just gave him a simple divine connection. So um, Joel, Joel and his wife Victoria were on vacation, and uh, they were staying at a hotel, and um, it was Sunday morning, and they decided to go to church. And, um, and um, they, they were in a city that he wasn't very familiar with, so he just asked um, someone at the hotel, you know, do you know where a good place is to go to church? And um, the, one of the bellhops overheard the conversation and, and, and approached Joel and said, hey, I, I know of a great church. I go to this church. You ought to check it out. And um, he, he decided to listen to that bellhop and went to this church. And um, while he was at that church, he met the pastor, and this pastor had a connection with a, a, a famous, you know, book publisher and... and and connected Joel with this book publisher, and he wrote his very first New York Times bestseller and became a multi-millionaire overnight, basically. But it's all because he decided to go to church and met this, listened to this bellhop. And he said, if I hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. And I think uh, if David had just ignored that Egyptian and, and not really listened to the voice of the Lord, he, it's important that we listen to the voice of the Lord, and divine connection, connections can take Unusual shapes, amen? So inquire of the Lord, and, and lastly, pursue the enemy. Know that you already have the victory. I love that last song we sang tonight. You are my champion. You know, David um, was uh, very broken at this point. His people were very broken, but, but um, something arose in their spirit, and they decided they are going to pursue the enemy. Know who the enemy is. David attacked them from twilight until evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode away on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. I believe that God wants you to recover all. Amen. So always trust God. Keep trusting him. And um, with situations where people have done you wrong, let the Lord be judge. You don't have to slip into destroyer mode. God, God, is, God is both just and the justifier. Let him take care of it. 
And uh, when you humble yourself in the way, he will promote you. He will take care of you. He'll make things right. Always trust him. Let him be your strength. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Keep spending time in his presence. Ask him for direction and pursue the enemy. Amen? We're, We're not created to be taken over. I love that song. I've taken over. The blessing is here. The blessing actually talks about taking over. Did you know that? It's okay to sing the blessing once in a while. Yeah, it, it, it honors God when, when, when we say who he says we are. You know, I, I, love, I love songs of worship song. There are there's several types of, of songs of worship. Congregational worship should always come from a place of faith. It should always come from a place of positive expectation. Um, but, but songs of declaration can, can really delight God. And um, you know, a couple weeks ago, um, Lisa Henderson was on the piano. She was actually playing. When I was closing out service on a Wednesday night, she told me I was playing... Um, uh, a Hebrew song. It was actually, um, they, they, they set the ironic blessing to a melody and they, they would sing it. So you can actually sing the blessing. And I believe that when you sing the blessing, when you sing, when you sing what God declares over you, I believe that it really honors him and touches his heart. And um, so I'm, 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 I'm totally fine with singing songs of great declaration, singing songs of blessing, and um, not just singing songs of I'm such a worm, I'm so broken, I'm so... Honestly, I have to change the... You know, I was driving my wife's car today um, because it has the, you know, the car seat in it and stuff like that, and, and um, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like driving... I'm trying to... I pull out of the house to come here tonight, and... Um, I realized I forgot my glasses because, you know, I'm trying to get two kids and the diaper bag and all these things, and I forgot my glasses. So I'm like, why can't I see? And I realized, like, the lights weren't on. That's problem number one. And then problem number two, my uh, glasses weren't on. And then, you know, she had the Christian radio station on, and it's, like, the most whiny thing ever. And I just clicked over to the other, you know, preset station she had. It was country music, and it was actually much more positive and much more... Happy then. So I listened to country music on the way to church, and it was much more encouraging and uplifting. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty bad. Um, so um, on your way home tonight, if if uh, if it's that whiny, why am I so confused? There's some song. It's like some new song. It's like it's hard to be human, and it's like. I'm like, why do people put this on the radio? It's like, man, at least the country artists don't sing about it. It's so hard to be human. And then, like, I'm just listening to Chris Stapleton on the way to church. And, and anyways. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.